You know, speaking of name calling, I was called a Dave Scott loyalist this morning. I saw that. I was supposed to mention that in the show. I was supposed to call you a Dave Scott apologist. A Dave Scott loyalist. I was like, you just gotta be out of your mind. You can call me a lot of things, but uh, you know, the Flyers have an active bounty on my head right now for questioning Dave Scott all season long. I don't think I uh, fall in the loyalist category, but okay. At least he was uh, he was polite about it, and he was definitely a fan because he said he listens. But yeah, it was weird that he got that you're. A, he, see, I had to interpret it because he said he said P H and it took T-S. me a few minutes to figure out what he was talking about. I was like, and I what sat, is he talking about? P H, okay, Paul Holmgren, that makes sense. And I was I like, D S, like Dan Silver, what the fuck is this guy talking about? And I'm like, I fucking Dave Scott. I'm like, Jesus. In the comments, somebody else said Dave Scott. Really? And I went, oh my god, it's Dave Scott is DS? I'm like, oh my god. I was going to so screenshot it and send it to the group because I'm like, I couldn't figure it out for a minute. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Dave Scott loyalist. Huh. Some people are taking psychedelics or they're not paying attention. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll be a Paul Holmgren loyalist, though. I will absolutely back up Paul Holmgren any day of the week and twice on Sunday at this point. What I wouldn't fucking <laughs> give to have that guy back in charge. <laughs> yeah, that video that somebody had posted about his time as Flyers coach on the bench was uh was pretty cool, you know. Um it's great to see that level of emotion which we normally don't now. In fact, I heard something about I think it was on on Dale Weiss's podcast or someone spitting or whatever that Dale Weiss is a podcast? Or no, not his podcast, but he was he was a guest on like mm, Spitting Chicken. I, like, oh, I got to hear this. These are from, you know, like a few years ago, but it could have been that or could have been something else. But or maybe it was Braun or something said that oh, he wasn't here for that. But anyway, the quote was that Dave Haxtell would not talk to the players during the game on the bench. He wouldn't say anything. He'd just stand there. Stand there with that stern face. Yeah. He might, you know, mumble a couple things sometimes, but I wouldn't believe. talk to the players. So, Yeah. Absolutely fucking crazy. But, um, guys, I wanted to mention, like, what do you guys think of this, like, Claude Giroux exit parade going on right now? There was uh, Emily Kaplan did an I interview. Saw the video, yeah. You know, it, it was his favorite weird. moment was 2010. 12 years ago. He hasn't had a favorite moment in 12 years. Fuck. <laughs> it was a bizarre, just, yeah, I mean, that was crazy that, that he said that. But just at a high level, like, they basically, it was an interview about how he has left, but he hasn't left yet. Yes. It yes. was very strange. What do you, how and do you he, feel about your tenure in Philadelphia? And I'm like, he's still here. <laughs> <laughs> they just couldn't wait, you know, a couple more weeks because he's got to get that thousandth game under his belt. Yeah, it's only a couple days before the trade deadline, I believe. 17th, and then the trade deadline's the 21st, so. Yeah. Oh, but, God, I, I can't come soon enough. 
two weeks? Three weeks? What are we at? Monday will be two weeks. So, coming up quick, at least. Just taking, I, just, I can't wait till it's over. I do like, though, that I put that uh, piece that I quoted you in, the uh, trading him to Florida for Spencer Knight and then trading hard to Edmonton for Dryside. I'm like, holy shit, it has legs. Yes. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen, yeah. but holy shit, it actually makes sense. This is something we were talking about for, like, weeks now. This isn't even, you know, just that one thing. You brought yes. up that scenario weeks ago. And it I may actually it. happen. Dan, so can you please set the table on how this would work, and then we will analyze. So the idea is you trade Giroux to Florida at the trade deadline, and you get Spencer Knight in return. Now, however you have to equal that trade out, go for it. Extra draft picks, whatever. is Borderline, the, the, the end of the day, it's Giroux for Spencer Knight. The Flyers have Spencer Knight and Carter Hart. You don't need two starting goalies. You trade Hart to his native Edmonton. You bring back Leon Dreisaitl. Again, whatever the fuck needs helps you sleep at night in the, the Hart Dreisaitl trade, fine. But then you get Dreisaitl. So you have Spencer Knight as your starting goalie. You have Felix Sonstrom as your backup. You have Leon Dreisaitl as your new number one center. New boom era in Philadelphia Flyers hockey. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but like... Florida doesn't have a lot to offer in terms of trade assets. They really don't. Anton Lundell and Spencer Knight are their two guys that have any kind of serious interest. And I people say, well, they would never give up Spencer. And I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. They have Bobrovsky signed for four more years at $10 million a season. Like, he's the guy. You know, he's the guy until further notice, and they just signed that other guy, Durza, Mark, Mike yeah. Durza, whatever the fuck his name is. Like from Barry, yeah, yeah. There's like there's another goalie prospect that's apparently you know at least pretty good. Like Spencer Knight seems like the odd man out. And listen, Barkov's ten million dollar extension kicks in. Carter Verhage's five million dollar extension kicks. That's like four point nine mil, but whatever. Like. If you're going to win, this is the year to do it because this is the year you have some salary to play with. You got a team that's very, very good, and you're not hampered by anybody else's contract. So I'm like, maybe if they feel like Giroux's the guy that pushes them over the edge, they give up Spencer Knight for him in a trade. Like, I don't think that's nearly as crazy as it sounds. I realize we're still dealing in the land of fantasy here, but I do seriously think this has some legs of being legitimate. Now, whether the Edmonton thing happens or not, I have no idea. But I think the Giroux for Knight trade at its peak could realistically be a scenario here. Oh, it's Giroux that's going to Florida. Okay, Giroux I thought, goes yeah, to Florida, Ed- yes. Yeah. I thought Edmonton... Okay, so Giroux goes to Florida. Giroux goes to Florida. Yeah. Spencer Knight Dreisaitl goes to Philadelphia. Hart goes to Edmonton. Dreisaitl back to Philly. Mm-hmm. And is there a piece that has to go between uh, Florida and, and Edmonton? Not necessarily. No, no. no. These are these probably separate deals. There would be some, I mean, as Dan mentioned, there would be some additional players involved, you know, some ancillary salaries and stuff to yeah. kind of make that work. But the core of the trade would essentially be Giroux, Knight, and Dreisaitl. Maybe Edmonton gives a, a prospect to Florida or something in, 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 as part of the deal, like sure. a Broberg or something. Yeah. Whatever would yeah. help anybody sleep at night, I would give up for in yeah. this scenario, yes. And I do think that, I mean, I think there's a lot of legs that, and this is kind of, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Dan, because I think that this really kind of expands upon our prior discussions and really kind of puts it in even a more realistic perspective. And I think that the the deal with Florida is certainly doable. Yes. Uh, the only thing, I guess the one hiccup that I would want to see is that another salary would have to come back to the Flyers that would give them 
the ability to take on uh, that Barkov extension when it comes up next year, as you mentioned, because he's going to get paid an extra like four or five million dollars or something. So, yeah. so, so some player would have to come back to the Flyers to open that up, um, because I think actually some of our other theories previously were similar to this, but it was you're sending Bobrovsky to the Oilers yes. to to clear that salary so Knight can come up and be Florida's new goalie. Meanwhile, Bobrovsky is the Oilers goalie in a win-now mode with a McDavid and whomever else. But I like this better because I have flyers. a couple of guys that are on relatively cheap, inexpensive deals, but could add up. I mean, you know, Sam Bennett, 4.4, Duclair at 3, Brandon Montour, 3.5. Like, you could definitely throw in one of those guys that won't kill the Flyers, but could make the money work overall for Florida. Yeah, I'd see a Duclair. Mm-hmm. Or really, I mean... If I'm the Flyers, I would be, you know, the fucking like shit receptacle in that sort of three way deal, essentially. <laughs> like, said, like, you know, the <laughs> um, shit receptacle. Send me your dump because all I want <laughs> is night and dry sidle. So if you want to send me your equivalent of a JVR to clear the space, you know, they're, just, they're a you good know, team. They don't have a fucking JVR. You know. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Is oh, whatever the equivalent is of that on send the Panthers and dumb. the Oilers, just send him to the Flyers to effectuate the trade if necessary. <laughs> you know who it would be? It would be Brandon Montour. Done. <laughs> three and a half million for the next three years, and he can play the right side. He's left or right. They're not going to trade Mackenzie Weger. They're no. not going to trade Gustav Forsling. So you know what that that looks like that would be the guy. That's Fine, three yeah. and a half million. I guess the thing is too would um, you know you got a guy like Bill Zito who's the, who's a GM down there who is as shrewd of a general manager as you're going to find these days. The guy is extremely intelligent. Is he going to put his eggs in the Bob basket for the next four years or try to figure out a way to get rid of that contract? Now that Bob contract was pre Bill Zito. He didn't sign him yeah. for that. So it's not like he's got to sit in his shit and let it stink. He potentially could try to trade him, but that's it's just such an astronomically high deal. Like you never see players with that AAV traded. Well, Jack Eichel, but <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a young up and coming star yeah. versus an old goalie who could be falling yeah. apart at any day. You know? Yeah. So I think it's probably more likely that even Edmonton probably things. isn't that desperate for <laughs> no. $10 million. Sergey Bobrovsky. He's got to be fucking what? His mid thirties by now. I think like 32, maybe. Sergey. Like no, not Federer. Is there, is there any world where Bobrovsky goes to Edmonton? Edmonton gets rid of Dreisaitl, but the thing is, what what would the Flyers give up? <laughs> they just say fuck off and swap Dreisaitl and Bobrovsky. Yeah. <laughs> Cut the yeah, Flyers out entirely. And they, they keep Spencer Knight. Bobrovsky right. will be 34 in September. We would trade Giroux. And we'd have to give something else. There's no way that we could be involved in that. I, get, I mean, you could give him, give him fucking Sanheim and retain salary. Give him whatever the fuck they want in a deal like that. Yeah, I give him, I give him a first rounder. Like Nothing's the off the table gonna, if we're talking about, you know, Leon Dreisaitl. If the Flyers are going to go on this ridiculous rebuild or uh, retool path, which I think is a failure to begin with, the only way it even remotely has a, a chance of succeeding is if they shoot for the stars. 
not swapping middle six players, which I know they're going to do. But if you are able to get elite level talent in here, in that situation, the team is at least compelling and you want to watch them, which is a minimum standard here. Maybe they don't win a cup, whatever, but at least they're worth watching. They like need Dreisaitl though, or a caliber of that player to drag them out of this mess. Like, that's yes. just plain and simple. You can't just bring in Nazim Kadri and Johnny Gaudreau. It's just not going to be enough, you know? You need a, a dry sidle or a top player like that to, to be the catalyst of everything moving forward. And, you know, those guys don't fucking grow on trees. So it's going to need to be some mind-blowing deal, you know, like a, like a Carter Hart. And the piece that I put out a couple weeks ago was Carter Hart and uh, Ivan Provorov for for dry cycle essentially and i'm like i would do that deal fine i i'd like <laughs> i realize i'm not exactly in the correct state of mind to analyze trades anymore because i don't give a fuck about this flyers team but like i don't think there's any deal that i'm necessarily turning down right now if it's within the realm of possibility and it helps the flyers like dry cycle like i'd give them fucking three-fourths of this team at this point if they mm-hmm. wanted i don't yeah. give a shit whatever the fuck they want you know you mentioned uh Ivan, we mentioned Ivan Provorov last week that he might have taken on too much and mentally it's just too much for him and this losing is it's just weighing on him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we worried at all that Carter Hart is going to follow the same path? Sooner or later. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, Manny. There's no question in my mind. There is not a human being on Earth that has a mental fortitude to survive an atrocious culture that this locker room is. There's none. I don't care who you are. I mean, I'm surprised he's done as well as he has this season. I mean, you look at last year and how fucking bad that shit got. You know, I thought I was expecting more of the same this year. And I mean, he's held on. He's doing his absolute best. But I mean, one more year like this and you ruin him too. Then what? Yeah, (laughs) that's what I worry about. Like that, that'll really. And as much as I love Carter Hart and I do, I have one of his jerseys. Same. I've watched him for a couple of years now. Right, going back to Everett Silver Tips in, in the WHL. Is that a guy? Like, we always kind of talked about how Carter Hart carried this team to game seven of the second round against the Islanders. If you were to put Carter Hart on the Edmonton Oilers right now, does he fix the Edmonton Oilers? Or at least does he vastly substantially them? makes them better? I don't know if fixes the proper term, but yes, makes them turns them from mediocre to legitimate threat. Yes, he can like hold a legitimate serve as a levy team. long enough to make them a playoff team. Yes, yeah, yeah. I would say they were a team that may not be quite as good as like the Avalanche right now, or something like that, or like Tampa or Florida, but. It takes them from a bubble playoff team to a, a team that could make some noise. Yeah. And he's a guy that'll keep them in games. Yes. yes. To the point where it gives McDavid and company a chance to put up seven pull, goals. Pull a rabbit out of their <laughs> hat, which they can do at any given moment. Yeah. Right? Hmm. Yet again, I mean, the, the Flyers with... make fucking Miko Koskin look like a fucking prime Dominic Ashik, so. Yeah, with <laughs> shots from the red line, essentially. You got it's shut out by Miko Koskinen. and that should be grounds for relegation. It should be the HL team now. Unbelievable <laughs> yeah, that game. Well, the thing with Hart at Edmonton is that you know obviously there's the local connection, but Carter Hart fits McDavid's timeline. Like, yeah, they're both the same age, pretty much ready to. to 
they're you know they're both ready to compete at the highest level like right now so and they're and also they both have like a good amount of time left like one isn't like for example like a spencer knight on the oilers he's too young yes. like he needs he's gonna need a little bit of time he's not ready to win yet a Bobrovsky on the oilers you know on the other end of the spectrum he's a little bit too old you know he it may limits be how much time they have left yeah one or two years but you need a guy that's really entering his prime <laughs> like a carter hart who's dialed in and that is the the key to success, I think, for them right now. I, I don't think they're going to be able to withstand this subpar goaltending anything more than a first-round exit, essentially. And if that happens, what do you do if you're the Edmonton Oilers? You trade you know, Grace like, Idol to Philly for Carter Hart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ironically gonna, enough, well, Edmonton losing would help the Flyers in that scenario because they would get desperate for change and... Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, the you best case know. scenario for that. What if this actually happens? He... What if they do trade Giroud to Florida for night and then they trade Hart to Edmonton for twice? That'd be insane. If that I mean, happens, can... you need to retweet this audio every day for like the next <laughs> year. But this is like, the thing is, this is the level of trade that has to happen. Yes, exactly. This you is the... can't <laughs> yeah. fuck around with this middling bullshit which they've done for years, you know, oh, let's trade a fifth round pick for the equivalent of a third line center to sign him <laughs> for seven years at seven mil a season. Like, no, that's not yep. what you need to do. This is the style. And I do not know if this Flyers team has it in them because they think that they're, they're two or three players away. We had injuries. We're going to sign a Goudreau in the Sean Vittori is going to come there. back and be great. Yeah. 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 Hey, I got an idea, guys. We'll just wait until Coots and Hayes come back. Yeah, <laughs> everything will be fine. Do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and have Morgan Frost as the three C. Oh, fuck this fucking Morgan Frost. Thing. We'll just keep yo-yoing Morgan Frost, and he'll develop eventually. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> if I never hear the word "develop" again, it'll be too goddamn soon. <laughs> it's the player development, Daniel. The development isn't wrong. No, it's not that the players don't suck. It's development. It's everyone's new term. It's a broad term that doesn't have an exact definition that you cannot yeah. prove or disprove, and it's a way to justify your favorite players being shit without actually having to directly admit that they're shit. Well, it's not Morgan Frost's fault he sucks. It's the franchise's fault he sucks. That same asshole this morning that called me a Dave Scott loyalist was like, well, you know, it's the player development failed the Hextall draft picks. And I'm like, Hextall was the general manager. He put the development system in place that the players failed under, most of which was still intact until this past summer when Fletcher cleaned out the rest of it. It's like, and this is, I just, I fucking hate this. this is everyone's new favorite term, development. Player yeah. development has failed. Just, just fuck off. Just admit your favorite players are shit and let's move on. <laughs> so this is, so I kind of like, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, obviously development is a certainly like a qualitative and uh, weird term. Um, I kind of am, uh, I'm close to split on this, on this issue though. Like, I think that the players that were drafted were not really that great but i also think that the flyers development system is very poor and that they have not done a I good mean, it job hasn't been perfect. let me state that for the record i don't think this uh, has been you know the best developed team around but at the same time i think a lot of that comes back to just the quality of players that you had in that time 
And people are pulling random... Well, it's Travis Sanheim wasn't developed. I'm like, just fuck off. He had a great AHL run. And yeah, they boggled him when he first got up to the NHL, but that's what they did with everybody, especially in the Dirt Hackstall era. You know, everybody got that treatment. But, like, he's been a top-four defenseman for five years now. You know, just fu- yeah. He wasn't developed properly. What the fuck do you want out of these people? You know? Fuck, I just, I hate this shit. I fucking hate these people. And they're, every prospect is great, and Ron Hextall was great, and everything is fine, and everything is great, and it's the development system that failed. German Rubsov, it wasn't that he was on fucking roids when he was 16 when they drafted him because he would have a good season. No! It's the development system that failed. Just fuck off. I, I think it's both. Like, I, I do think there is a case for that, that the, the organization has mishandled some players in certain instances. But at the same time, to your point, Dan, uh, some of it does fall on the player as well. Like, it, it just is what it is. And in a vacuum, a lot of those players that Hextall did take, people were generally positive about. And this is outside of Philadelphia, not just within our Flyers circle. Like a guy like Bobby Brink. I remember when they drafted him and everyone said, this is this guy's going to be a steal in the early second round. And sure enough, it looked bad last year, and then this year he's putting together a good season in Denver, right? I haven't watched him, but by all accounts, that's what's happening. But you sit there and you look at some of these decisions and some of these players, and you go, like, it's a little bit of both. You can't just blame it all on development because at some point a player has to say, that's yeah. enough, I want to be in the NHL, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to be in the NHL. Mm. Now, I will say that in terms of the frosting, listen, I, I love the guy too. And he's been thoroughly disappointing. He's not where I thought that he would be at this point in his draft plus frig. What is it? Five? 2017? Yep. Five, yeah. Like, I, I would have thought that he would have been an NHL mainstay by now. And he's not. And I think part of it is there is a communication problem within this organization. And part of it has to do with development where you sit there and you go, you look at other teams and generally speaking, if they're a point per game player for, I don't know, 35, 40 games in the AHL, that is kind of an indicator that, okay, this guy might be ready for the big time. And you have to kind of make a decision and and see where it goes. And the whole thing with Morgan Frost and the whole justification of he's not ready, we need to send him down, is the defensive play. And he's just not good away from the puck. And unless the puck's on his stick, he's lost out there. And you know what? Everybody, and I know that Dan, you and Anthony have said that he's improved in, in the defensive aspect fairly significantly from a few years ago. Yes. And if that's the measuring stick of we need to see the improvement in this area. That's where it gets confusing for fans and for all the, uh, you know, prospect people out there and all the, the supporters where they say, you know what, he did what you asked. Why isn't he up? And I think that that's also a fair kind of gripe. Uh, at the same time, I, I do agree with you as well, where you sit there and you go, he hasn't kicked the door down. He he was an all-star in the AHL. Yeah, when he played, what, 17 games? Yes. Or whatever that it was. was. It was like His tenure got interrupted that year because he had the call-up during his first NHL call-up. He only played a, a couple dozen games. 
Right. And that's what certified him as an AHL all-star. Like that's also that was more because he was the only person on the team that was even qualified as a star. That was kind of the downfall of the Phantoms was it was 1920. But like he never kicked the door down there. I was I'm in Lehigh every fucking night. Okay, I've seen a whole lot of Morgan Frost more than most people. I guarantee it. And it was just, there was never that game where I'm like, he was never a point-per-game guy. He's still not a point-per-game guy. And either one of his seasons did individually or together. Like, it's just, it's not like he was a bonafide star with the Phantoms and a point-per-game guy and 30 goals and all this shit. And then he gets called up to the Flyers and he plays in the fourth line and they treat him like shit and they make all of these excuses. That's not what happened. He just, he was underwhelming in Lehigh. He came up to the Flyers. He's underwhelming here. And he's just in that weird thing, and, and he's far enough in his career where it's just not going to happen. You know, he's if he was putting up Connor McDavid numbers, I'd be willing to forgive the defensive faults, but he's not. If he was a superstar defenseman who can handle himself in the in the bottom six and chip in points, great, but he's not. You know, if he's not with Giroux and Atkinson at all times, he's worthless in the NHL. Just worthless, because he can't figure it out. You know, he can hang. His defense is fine. I really haven't had any overwhelming complaints about Morgan Frost this season. He's just invisible. He's good enough to hang, but not good enough to be anything worth his shit in the NHL. And he goes down to the fan. They want him to dominate down there. Fucking, who was, I think it was Bill Meltzer and somebody else were just jerking this guy off the other day. He had the best game in his yeah. entire career. And he's like, bro, like I wasn't at that one. I wasn't, a, that wasn't a way game, but like, I guarantee you it probably wasn't that impressive because he's never been that impressive. See, but that's the thing. When the measuring stick is your defensive play really needs work. So to his credit, he focused on that part of his sure. game. And he <laughs> yeah, tried to exactly. get better. But now then then it becomes, well, we're sending you down because you're not producing. Yes. Well, okay. Chicken or so, the egg. Right. And that could be confusing for the player. And, and that's not really ideal either. There needs to be a very clear expectation of here's where we want to see you work on. This is what we want from you. And if you do these things, X, Y, and Z, you'll, you'll stay up. If you only do X or Y or Z or X and Z or whatever, it's freaking al- algebra all of a sudden. If you do two of the three, you probably aren't staying. You need to do all three of these things that we tell you to do. That's a different scenario. But everything that we've been told is he needs to work on his, you know, play away from the puck, his defensive, uh, you know, everything like that. Defensive awareness, this, that, positioning. And by all accounts, he's improved on those things. And that's where it gets confusing for fans where you sit there and you go, why isn't this guy here? And then it's the opposite effect with Isaac Ratcliffe. Where you sit there and you go, the guy's been nothing in the AHL after a very good junior career. But everybody said when he was drafted, he was going to take time. He was going to be a project. And then in the NHL, he's been serviceable. Like he's been noticeable and he's not a detriment to the club when he's out there. And then they send him down. Besides stupid penalties, which I think ultimately did him in, in a couple of those oh, dumb okay, ones. Okay, but... but- that's the kind of stuff. His play that itself is fine. Fuck. That's I. I'm so disappointed with Ratcliffe over the years because just just nothing in the AHL, and he came up and blew everyone away. You know, it looked great. Like that's the kind of guy that like you take some dumb penalties, you slap him on the wrist, and then put him back out there. I don't know why you sent him back down. Now, yeah, he fucking set up Matt Strom tonight. Holy shit, it was gorgeous. So yeah, I, I I don't know. The thing with Frost is like 
if he was worth a shit, if he was that good, he'd be here. At least Ratcliffe is like a history of not being very good at the pro level. Like, that's fine. But like, if Frost was a star, if he truly was as good as everyone tells me he is, he'd be here. You know, but he's not. And people just can't rationalize the fact that he's not here. So they turn to the excuse of it's the, the development, this faceless deity behind the scenes. There's an organization-wide conspiracy to hold Morgan Frost and his creative genius back. Just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just don't understand. I don't know what people want. If he's not a star at this point, are they just going to call him up one of these times and he's going to look like Connor McDavid? Is he just going to randomly pull it out of his ass now that he's 24 years old? You know, it's just, I don't know. It's just not going to happen. One thing that I wanted to look at, and this is probably for, you know, others that pay attention to other organizations, but when other organizations that are successful at doing this, for example, like a Tampa Bay or even like a Colorado, what do they look for when they bring up their players? Like what sort of boxes do they check where the organization says, okay, now you're ready. And even if you're not doing everything perfectly at the NHL level, we're still going to keep you here to work through that stuff. I don't think the Flyers have a good gauge on that. And I don't know, you know, because I'm not, you know, watching these prospects kind of integrate and come up through the ranks and stuff. So I can't say for a fact, you know, what that rubric really is. What what are those checkboxes that you look for that you say, okay, this guy's up and he stays up. We're going to, you know, withstand and weather the storm with the mistakes and kind of let him work through that versus yo-yoing him back down. And I think think that that's the kind of analysis and understanding, integration understanding, that I don't think the Flyers have a great handle on. Now, they have hockey people in there and stuff, but they don't have a really good track record of bringing guys up through the ranks and maximizing their capabilities. So I think that's kind of where a lot of the, you know, the hesitation and the questioning comes from is saying, well, you know, these players, they may not be great, but they probably should be hitting higher ceilings than they are. So, you know, what gives here? What's the problem? I don't know. You know, it's a it's a really, really difficult question to answer. But I would want to kind of talk to somebody probably from like the Tampa Bay organizations. The first one that comes to mind because they do this so well and they have that they have this rubric understood to understand, you know, when you yo-yo a player, when you leave them up, when you keep them down, that sort of thing. And um, I don't know if the Flyers can get any of those people in here, but those are the kinds of of um of leaders and organizational people that I'd be looking for if I'm this team. Of course, they're not going to get them, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're just going to continue in their BS at this point. So I'm looking. I'm looking at Tampa Bay. Yeah. So they they had Taylor Radish, who was uh, an OHL player, and then he played on Team Canada, and and then he went to the AHL for looks like three seasons. And then, you know what? They decimated their third line after winning their second consecutive Stanley mm-hmm. Cup. And now Taylor Radish is with the Lightning. Because he was, well, let's see, the last season that he had in the AHL, he was a point per game. So 29 points in 27 games. And that was, I think, a shortened season because of COVID, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> they obviously felt comfortable by saying, you know what? He scored 19 goals the year before, 18 the year before that. We're pretty comfortable that you're uh, just about a 20-goal guy in the AHL. Mm -hmm. And we've got no third line, so guess what? You're up. And it's now time for you. 
It's like working. you're on an entry level contract, you're a point per game. There's obviously some kind of checklist. I think part of it was necessity as well. Yeah. But but that's the thing is Tampa Bay is in a position where they're they they get to do stuff like that. The Flyers aren't. And the even Flyers- like a even like a braided point or something, you know, when they brought him up. I don't know his progression, but they must have like what did they see in him? Because he was a later round pick. So how did he come up through the ranks? And what did they what were his check boxes? Take a look. That'd be another question. He went back for uh, a last year in the Western Hockey League. Okay. So let's see. He was drafted in 2014, round three. So he basically he had a 91 point season in junior. Then he returned to junior. He had 87 points in 60 games. Then he went to the AHL, got four points in nine games, returned to the WHL the following season, 88 points in 48 games. So he just crushed it in the WHL. Okay, basically. And they were like, you know what? See you later. You're you're up in the big time. And he got 40 points his rookie season in the NHL. Okay. Okay. So they basically just said, look, your point production was so aggressive and so impressive. We're going to bring you up. But then... I guess he had a pretty good, you know, debut for that period of time. He's with the Lightning. So that solidified him being there. Okay. Yeah, like it, it was 40 points in 60 again. I'm sure it was more than just the points. Yeah. But just by looking at, at his numbers here, like it's pretty clear that he had a really good junior career. And then, you know what, he was half a point a game in the W in the AHL. So they were. He went back to uh, Moose Jaw the following season. Absolutely crushed it. Mm-hmm. And then you know what? He's up, and he he obviously won a job in training camp, and impressed them enough mm-hmm. that he became a mainstay. Yeah, I mean this concept is so is so critical for the Flyers. I bet you know you could probably write some sort of you know thesis paper or something mm-hmm. on this, where you go through, you know, the Flyers, all their players over the past six, seven, eight years. And, you know, analyze them and then compare and contrast to other organizations that have also failed and the ones that are really good at it and see if you can find uh, some similarities and some dissimilarities to create conclusions out of. Because I bet you probably could. Like, this is something that doesn't get a lot of attention when it comes to hockey analysis, but we're seeing it bite the flyers in the ass so bad for so long, whether it's, you know, not drafting the right players, you know, as Dan had mentioned, maybe these guys just don't have good ceilings. Is it the, is it the organizational development where they don't have the right coaches or they don't understand how to bring guys up right? You know, there's something there, and that's inhibited them from moving forward uh, over a decade now. So I don't know. I don't have the time for that research paper, but if somebody does, uh, let me know. I'll be able to guide you through it to some extent. <laughs> I think it is a bit of a new era, though. <clears throat> you know, a lot of the Hextall regime is gone. You know, like even the Scott Gordons and Kerry Huffman's, like, they're finally True. out of the picture as well. So I think this whole previous era, Frost and back essentially, are all fucked. Now you have to look at guys like York and, and Forrester. And, now, they have done a lot of prospects. The fucking fandoms are doing shit this year because they're kind of waiting for all these college kids to show up into the picture. But, you know, I, I do feel like... Fletcher's drafting in general has had more potential than, yeah. than than the Hextall guy. He seems to go with the guys that seemingly have talent. And that was the thing with the Hextall draft to begin with is 
you took too many risks in the first round, and you went too conservative in the second round. Adam Ginning. <laughs> like, Ginning, and even the guys that are made, like, Bonneman and Tarinsky and Shushko, and, like, all just the guys that have filled David Kasha, you know, players like that that filled the AHL for the last few years. Like, they don't have high ceilings. They're just a bunch of dudes, you know? I don't know, Frost may have been the only guy that was in that regime that had a high ceiling that didn't make it. You know, all of his other picks did. Uh, even somebody like Abe Kubel, it took time, but he's in the NHL. Sanheim, Provorov, Konechny, Therabee, like, he had plenty of hits. Nolan Patrick's an NHLer. He may be a fucking vegetable these days, but he's an NHLer. You know, like, I don't know. The players that made it made it, and the players that didn't, didn't. I'm sure they're boggled behind the scenes. I don't think this is a well-oiled machine up by any means, but I don't think it's that deep either. (laughs) You fucked all this drafting up, and you put a shitty system in place to do it. Ron Hextall drafted like shit, and the people he put in place to handle him are shit. Now we got Fletcher at the helm, and you can help. See if we can figure this shit out. Adam Ginning is an interesting guy. I I think... People shit on him because he was a second round pick. Yeah, if he would have been taken in the third or the fourth round, I think everybody'd uh-huh. be fine with him. But did you know that that guy captained Sweden at two different age levels on the national team? He was supposed to be Sam Moran's fallback option in case he didn't. That'll never sniff the AHL. <laughs> but he's never been good offensively, like ever. Uh-huh. Like if you look at, if you look at his numbers, it's like. Terrible offensive numbers, but <laughs> yeah. the guy was a captain for Sweden, yeah. like at, at like a World Junior, and I think the under eighteen Ivan Halinka tournament. So I mean, like the guy is, I don't know, people in Sweden really like him, I guess, and maybe that reputation caused you know him to to be taken way too early uh, by the Flyers, but I don't yeah. know. I mean, he has no future with this team, does he? None. No. Yeah. Steve's like, under like contract, <laughs> uh, not contract, but is it the organization that still have his rights. How long ago was he drafted? I feel like it's been 15 years. It's been a while. It's been um, a while. I heard he was one of those guys. Like there were a couple of years during the Hextall regime where I was super into the draft. That was only 2018. 18, really? Yeah. No way. Really? 50th overall in 2018. Feels, feels longer, yeah. but I, I was livid. He's 22 years old right now. There was guys that Kalen Addison was at the top of my list there, and I and he's doing well with what um, Minnesota. Uh, the, a while now, it's like I mean, it's just these off-board. You know, we're smarter than everybody else sort of thing. It's like, oh great, you're going to pick a guy that will never sniff hockey in North America. Congratulations. See, remember we mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. In in a potential Claude Giroux trade, and now uh-huh. he's up with the big club. Because he was at around, you know, just about a point per game or just under. So yes. obviously they thought, okay, you know what? This guy's, he's doing it. We might as well see what he's got at, at the next level. Let's, yeah. let's bring him up and see what happens. I mean, that's a great point, man. It's a great test case is, you know, look into a guy like Addison. What did the wild see? What was his rubric? And when did, when and why did they bring him up? You know, that's a it's a fantastic example right there that, that fits exactly with the timeline and the factors that we're looking into right now. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I wish I knew more about, you know, that organization and, and that stuff. But great example for sure. Yeah, he was 17 points in 23 games 
And then since then, he's played uh, 15 games and he's got four points in the NHL. Two goals, two assists. Nice. That's not bad. Not bad for a rookie. Yeah. So taking a bit of a, uh, I guess, of a slight directional change here. You know, I was thinking about this and we brought this up probably about a month ago when that press conference happened with Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher. But at what point do we start to put more heat on Chuck Fletcher for becoming complicit with Dave Scott's moronic direction of the franchise? Like, I think we can all admit that we did see uh, some difference of opinions in that midseason press conference yes. where Scott was saying, no, we're going to do this immediately. You know, I want it now, that sort of stuff. No, two to three, four or five years. And Fletcher really kind of backed off of that. He agreed with Charlie O'Connor's question about high end talent needs to come from the top of the draft, that sort of stuff. And there's obviously, a, you know, some sort of. Um, probable disagreement with how things should go here. But the question is, at what point do we start to say, look, Fletcher, stand up to this guy or we're going to start coming after you? I think I'm waiting for the offseason and seeing how they handle this and how this ultimately shakes out. There are a lot of people on social media that are turning on Fletcher and Droz right now, mainly because there's somebody they really want waiting in the wings and Danny Briere. So they want this guy out as soon as possible. But I'm kind of reserving judgment on this guy until we see how this offseason goes, especially the trade deadline. Let's see how that goes. And then let's see how the offseason goes. And in August, we can have this conversation again, you know, and and kind of see, assess everything and see what happens, see what this team looks like. If they, you know, if he can pull off a Giroux for night trade, you know, and something like that, and then we get dry sidle in the ultimate deal, but something like that happens in real life, Mm. this guy can stick around as long as he wants. But I don't, you know, in the real world, I don't think anything's going to be quite that impressive. I think we're in for, you know, you're going to trade Konechny for some dude. You're going to sign Johnny Gaudreau. And you're going to panic sign Nazim Kadri to a stupid fucking contract. And, you know, if shit like that really happens and, and the moves made hinder this team even further, like... I don't not going to be too supportive of this guy, but I, I want to see the approach that he takes and see what this draft looks like and all this stuff. I want to see how they handle this moving forward before I make a final judgment on, you know, what I think Fletcher's timeline looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I look at some of these, you know, contracts and okay. So let's say, you know, I mean, Fletcher is signing like a wrist line in a, six and a half by six and uh, Johnny Gaudreau, you know, 9.5 by seven years, you know, those sort of deals. Uh, I'm starting to think like, uh, I don't know about that. Like if I'm, I, I just wish that there was something that we could see where Fletcher went into Dave's office and said, Dave, you're fucking wrong. This is ridiculous. You're going to drive this organization further into the ground. We have to change course by liquidating the roster and drafting high for at least two seasons, you know, something like that. I don't know if that conversation's happened. I don't think it has. Uh, but, you know, signing these big deals, like to me, is kind of going to start putting the heat on Fletcher. We're going to be like, look, man, like, I know that's your directive, but like, this is a fucking suicide mission. I mean, what are you doing here? Signing wrist to line in 6.5 times whatever the fuck he wants and paying. Johnny could draw out the ass to be, you know, a complimentary forward here. It's just where you're not, 
you know, and those are the moves where these 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 ancillary moves that are helpful, but you don't have your core pieces. You're going to ride and die with your Couturier and Hayes and a Ryan Ellis who's likely injured for the rest of his career, stuff like that. Like at some point as an executive, you have to stand up to ownership and say, this is wrong. And I think I'm, I'm getting there with Chuck. Like I'm not quite there. I agree with what you mentioned, Dan, about waiting to the off season, but I'm starting to get there a little bit. It's definitely, I mean, we're heading down the wrong path. Certainly. You know, yeah. he, that yeah. the, the way everything is going, it's not leaving a good taste in my mouth. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I do want to see at least the trade deadline. Let's see what the fuck happens then. If he trades Ristolainen for a first round pick, fine. If he signs him for a seven by seven contract, I'm going to be flipping this fucking table. <laughs> that you know, that'll be, that'll be the opening taste, I guess, to see what the you know ultimate goal is for the summer. I'm I'm walking the line between both of your points. I I think uh, like Mike, I am starting to kind of get a little bit wary because I do want to see. I do think Chuck's a good guy, and I think he means well, and I really do think that he knows what 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 needs to happen here. Yeah, but it, it, it it's meaningless if he doesn't have the spine to tell Dave Scott, you know dude hands off just let me do this if you really trust me if you really believe in me you're going to do things my way and i'm telling you i'm this is what we're going to do and it's going to be better for this team because the thing is is and i agree with you dan i think the trade deadline is going to be the real domino i think that's going to push me significantly one way or the other on on how much more time i think this guy should get but if i'm chuck fletcher and i've been given an edict from the infallible, the uh, Pope of pompacity, Dave Scott, <laughs> that pompous ass. And he sits there and he goes, come hell or high water, I want a winning team here. And then knowing full well that you could go out and do whatever you want, getting a John Klingberg doesn't guarantee you anything. And I was looking at his stats earlier today, and it ain't really anything to write home it's about. It's been quite a few years since he was uh And then, you know, what's your other option? You re-sign Ristolainen to an obscene contract. That's not going to work out well, and that's not going to win him any favors either. What do you do? Like, uh, it it, it sucks because either way, you basically, it's not death by cop, but it's death by Scott. Because Dave Scott's going to throw him under the bus and say, you're fired. And at the end of the day, you're Chuck Fletcher and it's your reputation as a general manager. And you come from a hockey family and your family's been in this business for a long time. And you're going to sit there and you're going to straddle this organization with all kinds of long-term contracts. In addition to the ones that are already here in a foolish attempt. And I'm listen, might it work? Sure. But I think it's at least at best, even money. I think that there's a good chance that, these moves fall on his face and it's not enough. And then this team either, you know, makes it in by a wild card spot or they're just out by two, three points. And then, then what happens? Chuck's gone. And then you're going to bring somebody in here. And what's the mandate? Get back into the playoffs. Well, thanks. I've got like 10 long-term contracts here. <laughs> and like, I don't know what you want me to do here, Dave. Uh, bl- well, blank checks and resources. Well, that's great. That's not really how this works. Like, you got to be smarter about this. Next free agent season. 
That's what you want to hit. You want to draft well in this uh, draft, but then you want to think about next year and, and see what happens. And, you know, again, it's not tanking for the sake. If they get it fine, if they don't, you'll still get a good guy at, at six or seven, like still guys that will improve what you got here. Now I know it's not transformative and I know that everybody wants Mitchkov and Bedard or Fantilli, but again, it, it, what are the options here? Like you either go for it or you don't go for it. And I think going for it now is just the fool's errand. Oh man. Yeah. Like it's just the wrong move. He, you know, I've got, I think that there's some people out there that still are hung up on this. Well, I don't want to tank. And we mentioned this, you know, a few weeks ago because that doesn't guarantee anything. And they, you know, they just want to continue kind of spinning this circle and try to catch lightning in a bottle. And I think that no one is, even the people like me and a lot of others that want to rebuild, like I'm not advocating what I think people are talking about by tanking. Like tanking to me means, okay, we are liquidating the roster. We are purposely going to be losing for an extended period of time. We have no interest in any free agents and we have no interest in trades. So we're, yes. So yes, exactly. The coyotes, like, we are essentially are going to be bottoming out and stagnating in a bottoming out condition for an extended period of time. We're not interested in spending any money. We don't want to trade. Nothing. That's not what we have been saying here at all. We've been advocating to liquidate the crap off of the off of this current roster, which is players that have no chemistry that are being asked to play in roles that are way higher than their ceilings are and their current levels are, and to take a chance to uh, accumulate a couple of players at the top of the draft over a two, three, four-year period, something like that maximum. By no means did I say don't sign any free agents ever and don't make any trades ever. Yeah. Like, this it's about is being a tactical. Co- yes, Tactical, it's a collective effort, a multifaceted effort in terms of a rebuild. You know, losing games at some point has to happen. Look, there's a little bit of pain in this. And if you're a Flyers fan out there and you think that there's not going to be an ounce of pain before you get good, I got news for you. Every fucking team that's won jack dump in this fucking league has been bad for a little bit of time. Yeah. So get used to it. The Chicago Blacks are. The Chicago Blackhawks had a certain period of time where they sucked. Same with Tampa Bay. Pittsburgh. Same with Pittsburgh. Yeah. All of them. Same with Colorado. All of them did. Every team that's won anything. But they made had the most of, of their suck. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you got to go through it. It's like whether it's in terms of, you know, not being that good for a few years to get those high picks or, you know, having to integrate your prospects and letting them kind of flounder for a little bit. You know, that that happens. But you're going to have to go through a little pain. If you are of the opinion that you have zero tolerance, I'm sorry, but you ain't going to win fucking shit. You you are a loser. And that's you know? why the, the fucking anger yeah. builds for me when I have people that go, Yo, they're, this is what you want. You know, they're tanking. They're, they're playing well but losing. And it's like, this is not what I want. <laughs> this just losing for the sake of losing with no direction is not what I want, you know, because yes, that's where you no are. You're yeah. just stuck. You're just losing games because your fucking roster sucks. You know, you're not losing games with the intention of 
flipping some of these players later and getting a few more draft picks and building up. You know, you're just stuck. This team was supposed to be competitive this year. And it didn't. And you had a fucking press conference where you go, well, you know, we may or may not be good. And Dave Scott just wants to watch Gary fucking Yuhu do his thing over there. <laughs> like, he's no fucking grasp upon reality whatsoever. It's bullshit. You're in this weird primordial fucking ooze here with no direction. You don't have to rebuild. You don't have to tank. They're not tanking. I should not be getting used to this. Fuck you! Okay? I want to fucking have a tactical approach here of take out the bad pieces, get some draft picks, use those draft picks to bring in good pieces. You know, whether it be through the draft or via trade. Not just to sit here and fucking be the Coyotes. I don't want to turn into that. And that is dangerously to the level they're getting at right now. Of just, yeah, fuck it. We're going to lose. Nobody gives a shit about the Flyers anymore. Tough shit. We're the new Coyotes. Who cares? You know, there was a... Somebody put the stat on Twitter that the top five teams in the league, two of them are Florida and Carolina. And the Flyers are the bottom five. When Oh, that was actually put out in word form? That's insane! How far has this organization fallen? We're a bottom five team in the league, and the fucking Florida Panthers are number one. They're in the top five. What the fuck happened? What happened? You know? This is just insane. It is insane that we are so fucking off the rails here, and there's no way to get back. There's no path that says, Let's, we're going to come back tomorrow. No matter how they approach this year, I don't have faith at all for next season. Unless they do something crazy like get Dreisaitl, and that's only going to happen in my fucking dreams. You know, and if you think about it, who do they have? So they drafted Ekblad <laughs> in the top three. Yeah, but it was many years ago. Yeah. So even it if you omit that, the Morin draft, yeah. So Barkov, third overall, was he not? Something like yeah, that. He, yeah, he was high. He was in the top three for sure. Huberto yeah. was a top five pick as well. I think he was I top five. So. Yeah. I rest my case, Your Honor. Yes. Yeah. Spencer Knight was a top ten pick as well. So the the foundation is there. They had to lose for a little bit to do that. But I'm glad that you mentioned the word tanking because I've been going back and forth with a couple of people on Twitter and it was in reference to the attendance uh, in that Minnesota game. And basically the idea was, well, hey, this is what tanking looks like. And I'm like, first of all, they're not tanking. They're not. They're, they they yeah. suck. Yes. Because they because they're because they're trying they're, as hard as they can actually. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. It's not it's not a purposeful. No, they're desperately trying to lose. They're losing. This wasn't because the game they're plan. Losing yeah, because they're decimated by injuries. And right? they're also. I'll even, I'll even give them that. I don't think that they're as good as you know. Listen, I thought they were going to be a lot better. They're not. So it, it is what it is. That's my fault too, but. They're not tanking. No, that's not the word like, I would use. And that's the, I hate that word because everybody's like, well, this is what – and I'm glad you said it because I've heard had fans say this to us too, to me as well. Well, this is what you want, tanking. That's not it. That's not what I want. It's called – you have to be smart about it. Listen, would I cry if next year they uh, you know, were in the bottom five or six? Nope. I wouldn't cry at all. As long as they're you, honest about it, I don't care what the matter, fuck they do. Even if you lose, even if you do tank. So you get a, what, a 16, 17% chance of winning. I don't even think it's that high. See, whatever it is. So it doesn't even matter. The like whole 14 thing is. 14 and 12, you, I think, or something like that. You want to be in that conversation where you sit there and you go, even if you don't win the lottery, but you get number two or you get number three, then it changes your franchise. 
pretty significantly. And you draft and you, Nolan Patrick 2.0 and it fucks you over even further. And if you could pick up another draft right. pick in the in the middle, in the mid, you know, between, mm-hmm. you know, 15 and, and 25. Which you'll yeah. get right. from Giroux and Ristolainen. And you might hit on that pick too. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. And that's where that's where it becomes a smart thing. When yeah. you can, and then you supplement with the free agents next year. Yeah. And you add it to the first round pick that you're going to get this year. It's just strategic. It's just Yes. Having a plan, you're not tanking. Tanking is Mike. It just that's a long term shitty fucking. We're gonna rebuild with first round picks, Edmonton Oilers style. Yeah. You know, it's that's non participation. You're, you're essentially. Yeah. This is gonna be a year where you're gonna have a down year or two, just because the team is so goddamn bad. Even if they come back at full health next year, not expecting much unless massive overhauls are made this summer. Which again, not expecting much. Like. If it takes a down year to capitalize on it. And that was something, somebody said that. I don't remember whose quote that was. Was it Chuck Fletcher's like, you know, we're having a down year. We need to capitalize on it. And I was like, yes. I think it was Briere. Briere, Briere, that's who it was. Yeah. You know, you're having a down year and you have to capitalize on it. That's what, that's what I want to hear. Because that's what needs to happen. You're having a down year. Let's take advantage. Let's get some nice little draft picks rolling in. And then try again next year. You know, this isn't a tank. It's you fucking, you fuck this year up. It is what it is. Then we move on to next year and try again. Because this year's done. you got to make what you can of it. Make the best scenario that you can. Put the pieces together. Get a draft pick or two. Walk away with Shane Wright if you're lucky. But you know what? Whatever the fuck it is, get a high draft pick. Get a couple of them. Sell Ristolainen. Sell Braun. Sell Konechny. Sell Santa. I don't even give a fuck who cares. You know, nobody should be here anymore. <laughs> Scorched Earth policy. Trade them off for first-round picks. Do what I do what you do in NHL 22 and you get like eight first-round picks in the draft year. and Just get everybody. Yeah. And I think it goes back to some stuff that we have mentioned, you know, probably for, uh, for quite some time now, is that... In a hard salary cap era, there are life cycles to an organization. There have to be. You can't be, you know, a deep playoff contender for eternity. You also can't be the Arizona Coyotes for eternity. But in a cycle of a team, you have to hit both of those benchmarks at some point. It is an up and down type of thing. There is a period of time where you are going to not be very good. You have to do that in order to get good later. And then once you are good later, you can only do that for a certain period of time before your players get too old and retire. And you have to go back down to the depths of the league and recalibrate and redraft and repopulate your roster with talent. If you don't see that in a salary cap era, I can't help you. And it's what you talked about for years. How many teams have lapped the flyers in this time? How many? How many have had success, tore down, and rebuilt in the time that the Flyers have been stuck in this fucking middle-of-nowhere bullshit? A lot! Most of them! The fucking Kings won a cup and are going to win another cup before the Flyers even figure their shit out. They want to do all this. They just want to keep winning. They just want to keep going down this path they're going down, even though there's no good that's going to come out of it. And that's the part that is so goddamn frustrating through this whole fucking process. Because there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Because they just want to do this. They 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 are convinced that this way is the right way. And it is absolutely not. And we're all going to pay for it with, you know, another 10 years of Flyers hockey being complete shit because they're doing it wrong. 